This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by Turismo de Lisboa. The Iberian Peninsula offers some of the best birding in Europe, and Lisbon, Portugal is an excellent gateway to it all. Located at the mouth of the Tagus River with exceptional birding just a short distance away, Lisbon is a paradise for migratory waterbirds with wintering flamingos, storks, raptors, and more. And it's one of the most affordable cities in Europe. For more information on what you can expect from Portugal's capital, be it cultural or birding highlights, go to visit Lisbon. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, and I am back from an exceptional few days at the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival down in Harlingen, Texas. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you know that we did a live game show this year. It was a lot of fun. And those of you in attendance might be just a little disappointed to know that we are not running it this episode immediately after the festival. John and I want to take a little bit of time to to piece it together into something that sounds as good to you and your earbuds as it sounded to everybody in the audience. So that will be next time. Please be patient. We'll get there. It'll be worth it. I do want to take the time instead to talk a little about a really exciting development that happened along the border in Arizona with regard to one of the ABA area's most storied hummingbird sites. Many, many birders have traveled to Ash Canyon and visited the bed and breakfast run until relatively recently by Mary Jo Balator over the years. You, you never had to be a guest to enjoy the hummingbirds that came to her exceptional feeders. And it was one of the most reliable sites in the ABA area for for Lucifer hummingbird, as well as big rarities like uh, plain cap starthroat. She had, a, she had a great hummingbird feeder array hanging around this really beautiful tree and, um, you know, amazing gardens that she maintained. But when Mary Jo died earlier in 2019, there was a real worry that the subsequent sale of her home would mean that it would be no longer be available to birders. I, you know, I don't know that a lot of birders knew that this was even going on, but you know, thanks to a generous donation and the work of the Southeastern Arizona Bird Observatory, it will remain open as an SABO site with a live-in caretaker. They plan to expand the plantings and the photo blinds. It, it will remain as this you know wonderful legacy to an amazing member of the North American birding community who was known for her hard work and incredible hospitality. I have my own personal experience with Mary Jo and, and Ash Canyon. I visited there a few years ago, and one of my most desired birds to see there was Costa's hummingbird, which is sort of bizarrely the last of the regularly occurring ABA area hummingbirds for me. You know, just, just one of those things that, that happens where I've never been in the right place at the right time. And there had been one sort of hanging around Mary Jo's feeders uh, when I was there. So I was I was excited to finally put that one to bed. So uh, we, at, you know, the people that I was with uh, spent a couple hours around the feeders and I, I was pretty sure that I found it and I even got some really nice photos, which is always, you know, a bonus. So I'm, I'm relaying this story to Sherry Williamson, the, the Dean of North American Hummingbirds herself, cause she was there and I show her this photo and I tell her the story about how, you know, I finally come across a Costas hummingbird. And she says, you know, in- incredibly kindly in that way that she has that my photo looked, in fact, like a hybrid hummingbird, a Lucifer Costas hybrid that I'm told is called a Costifer. And I sort of deflate from that high a little bit. 
With a little distance, I can see that a hybrid is about a million times more rare and, and probably more interesting than a full Costas, but but still, Costas Hummingbird remains on my list. Maybe I will still have an opportunity to get it at Ash Canyon. That, so that's my Ash Canyon story. I'm, I'm so glad that it was saved by the hard work of none other than Sherry Williamson herself and others so that many others can have their hearts broken by a cost for a hummingbird. On the show today, it's a very Borderlands episode, appropriate given where I was last week. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival and why it's so important to have a bird celebration there. That will be at the end. But first, documentary filmmaker Otelia Padua would probably not describe herself as a birder, but she found birds to be an interesting way to tell the story of the Rio Grande Valley. Her film Birders is available on Netflix, and she is with me to talk all about it after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the first part of November 2019. Birders heading down to the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival were pretty excited about the report of both a northern jacana and a green-breasted mango seen at sites in Hidalgo County, Texas a couple weeks ago. Unfortunately, neither of those individuals stuck around into the festival, though they are noteworthy birds regardless. Perhaps most unusual for the period was the discovery of a red-flanked blue tail in Laramie, Wyoming, where it obviously represented a first record for that state and only the second inland record for this East Asian perching bird. That was actually followed very closely by another red flank blue tail, this one banded on southeast Farallon Island in California near San Francisco, which prior to 2011 was the only place on the continent outside of Alaska where this species had been recorded. And if that wasn't enough, a second bird was banded not more than a few days later, also on southeast Farallon Island. So there's a bit of a movement of red flank blue tails in the western part of the continent right now. There are a couple other firsts to report, including a vermilion flycatcher in Nampa, Idaho, and a Eurasian tree sparrow in Clallam County, Washington, which showed up alongside a run of native bird rarities. A Eurasian tree sparrow is a tough one because it's resident along the upper Mississippi River from St. Louis up into Iowa and Illinois, but it does seem to show some pattern of vagrancy that doesn't always get noted because it is an introduced bird. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this one. This was a short look at the notable rare bird reports of the last couple of weeks. For all the rarities you can handle, go to the ABA blog, blog.aba.org, every Friday morning. You can also check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare. Or you can follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. Many, many birders throughout the U.S. and Canada have been paying attention to the ongoing situation in South Texas with regard to the construction of the border wall. We certainly talked about it on this podcast a few times. You know, so many of our favorite birding sites are under threat. Uh, it's a situation that is alternately sad and you know encouraging when we give when we have victories and, and frustrating. You know, oftentimes all at once. Uh, filmmaker Otilia Portillo Padua offers her insight into the often fraught affair with birders. A short documentary released recently on the streaming platform Netflix. She is based in Mexico City. She joins me from there. Uh, welcome, Otilia. Congratulations on the release of the film. It's it's really a nice piece of work. I enjoyed it very much. Thank, thank you very much. Um, well, I mean, the, the basically, the, the, to start with, to know why I did the project practically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
It's uh, but basically they called some uh, documentary filmmakers in Mexico, like a production company that was just starting off called No Ficción, and they wanted to talk about bi like the re bilateral relationship between yeah, the U.S. Sure. and Mexico, and they, they but they practically gave us freedom of creativity, whether what that in entailed. And I had been, I had a, some symbolic interest in birds. I wouldn't say I knew a right. lot about birds. Yeah, I was going to ask you know, whether you were, a, a, were you, you would define yourself as a bird watcher. Uh, maybe I am. I'm in process. <laughs> maybe I would now. Say yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm in process. I, I'm still really bad at identifying yeah, well, warblers and basically most things. <laughs> yeah, I think birding is sort of a, an ongoing learning experience uh, for a lot of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, but, and, and because I was, I had this symbolic interest in birds and I'd been working on a script for a while that had something like that. I decided to do a trip to a place in Chiapas called La Biosfera de la Reserva del Triunfo, which has a quetzal. It's one of the few reserves yeah, that has absolutely, quetzal. yeah. And so, and I traveled and I did a bird watching trip, which I, yeah, which um, which I mean, I wanted to do, but I didn't know what it entailed. So it was my first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, like, it was very, very long walks, uh, very yes. slow walks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and very quiet walks. Yeah. And and and, and it was it was very interesting exercise mentally. And I actually really started enjoying how the whole conversation of birding started becoming about ecosystems, about conversations, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like the whole meaning of birds, like in a broader spectrum. And and so and and so when when they told me to propose something, I said, well, I could propose something has to do with birds. Little did I know that uh, that I was going to come from, like, when, once I started researching, I actually did find out that tech, South Texas was incredibly important, a very important migratory route. Yeah, yeah. And little did I know that, like, all of, like, a lot of the birding sites were, some of them have already been partitioned and some of them yeah. were on threat. Yeah. And so I, I have really had no idea of the, uh, the very complex and intricate geopolitics involved also, in, you know, in the whole, I mean, you can take birding for what it is, but there's all these other meanings. Yeah, it, it's hard to avoid it yeah. when we're talking about South Texas. I mean, the the whole, well, I mean, that that part of the country is so entwined. I mean, this, this whole Texas-Mexican culture, I mean, it's just like this back and forth for centuries. Um, and, you know, the relatively arbitrary national border between them on the river, but on both sides, you know, there's people and there's birds and they're all kind of mixing together. It's, it's like, this is really fascinating place otherwise, but you know, the whole issue with the wall has been, oh, it's been, it's been a difficult one for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and in general, I mean, regardless of the particular politics of people there, Mm -hmm. I, I, I would, I mean, in general, I got the idea that a border wall wasn't like the best idea. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons. And also because, yeah. I mean, I, from my understanding, they've been trying to establish a, a wildlife corridor for the last yeah. 40 years. So that's Yeah, like, exactly. So the, you know, the, the federal government has bought all this land, yeah. in which there is not very much natural habitat left in Texas. But the river is this connective tissue. The river is intended to connect all these places. And then, you know, you're, you're throwing all that investment in, you know, not just money, but just in manpower and, and time, you're just throwing it away for this. Yeah. It's, it's been, that's been one of the more frustrating aspects of it for sure. So, and and what, I mean, and the thing about birders is I, I wanted it to be political, but I didn't want it to be in your face political. Yeah, and so that, that for some people is like, that can be like, oh, it's not political enough. Or for some people it's, uh, it's very political. 
Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to be subtle about politics and trying to make people like work out themselves that yes, a, a wall is going to probably block the work of a migratory corridor, yeah. um, it can go either way. So that's been very interesting. But I wanted to keep it subtle because I wanted to be like much more inclusive and maybe open the possibility of people looking at the situation of the border in a different perspective. Totally. You know, I thought it was really interesting how you know it's hard to talk about birds in the border and not make it somewhat political. Uh, and, you know, the wall is sort of this, is sort of a character in the film, too. It's sort of like figuratively looming. And in some places, like it's literally looming <laughs> over yeah, the no, borders. It is, it is, it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you meant to, you wanted to make this sort of an advocacy film, but a, yes. but a real softer sell, which, soft- which it does really well, I think. Yeah. I mean, that that was the intention. And also, you mm-hmm. know, like the kind of like when you're working with the word migrant constantly, I mean, yeah, there, there was absolutely. also this, this idea of, of, of migration, like, uh, and, but the, those were like the layering of ideas that I wanted, but I wanted to keep them subtle mm-hmm. and, and subtlety works for some people and then it doesn't work for other people. Yeah. I thought it was really clever, you know, especially the juxtaposition between talking about migratory birds as migrants and then you know which is something that birders do constantly yeah. yeah and you know the the sort of connection to human migrants on the border you know if i'm putting myself in the position of a um a non-birder mm-hmm. I, I think it works it works really well yeah and that that was also like i when i, I we did it very fast it was a very fast project it was 11 days shooting wow. in lots of locations so yes we we in a way we got what we could we i mean we couldn't be like like what like we i wanted more things as well but it's it's complicated yeah. when you have a deadline well, because nature because sure. it was my first experience with somehow a little bit i wouldn't say this is a nature doc but as a component of nature and i had like it was filming nature is a completely different thing totally yeah i mean i was amazed that you were able to get so many really nice shots of the birds of the region in my experience it can be kind of difficult to get video footage of birds it is. <laughs> how, did, how did you do that yeah well i mean the, the first thing that helps is that we we got like the most expertise people over there like like uh richard moore and mark conway and and, and joyce and maddie are people are expert birders in the region and you know when you travel you go with expert people like you find them so, I mean, obviously, some kind, some of the smaller migrants, the passerines were mm-hmm. harder yeah. because they were like they're very quick and 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 yeah. So I mean, I always wanted a painted bunting, but it was just kind of impossible yeah. to get. <laughs> yeah, you take what you can get to some extent. Yeah, uh, but but we we and then and then the places like Quinta Mazatlan that I think the birds are already pretty established. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said you worked 11, 11 days. That's amazing. Yeah. You covered a lot of ground in eleven days from. You know Brownsville and Harlingen down to down to Veracruz. There, that's 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 quite a haul. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really really intense. We split it into two. We did Texas, Tamaulipas in one go. Then yeah. we had a week break, and then we did we tried to get peak migration in Veracruz, mm-hmm. and then we yeah. went to Los Tuxtlas. Uh, so so yes, it was really really intense, and and we couldn't like be very picky about what we could get in terms of nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that worked too because you were able to sort of focus on the on the people as well. I yeah, mean, it's very exactly. much a film about the people as Absolutely. much as much or more than it is about the birds. I agree. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's a lot of bird documentaries that focus on those birds, but I I, I think that this sort of thing is sort of novel for bird watchers to see themselves portrayed uh, on film like this. And um, 
that's it's always really nice when it's when it's done with a lot of uh, sensitivity to the to the community, which I think that you did. Thank you. You know, in Mexico, there's this whole like you know a lot of the, we with our focus wasn't so much like the scientists and everyone. The focus was mm-hmm. bird monitors because I wanted yeah. I, I mean, that, that's a project that they've pushed a lot. Uh, particularly a dependency called CONABIO, which is a commission for biodiversity. And they've, they've pushed this idea of, of bird monitors, so local people that, that do monitoring. And then some of them have become very, very good guides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, how did you choose the people that you featured in the film? Um, well, I did, I did some scouting early la- in the middle of last year, uh, around July, I went to Texas and I just basically met up with the people from the Rio Grande joint venture. And he helped me out, make a list of people that I could potentially meet. And then I met incredible people. Some of them, are, like I couldn't fit in just because I wanted to have like a diversity of yeah. gender, like origins, like, mm-hmm. like. For example, Madeline is Swiss or Keith is from South Africa. Maybe even if, like you don't know it because I don't put their nationalities or the Galindos have a background, I think, from Portugal and the, the Galindo wife is Mexican. And so I wanted like diversity, but I also knew I always knew that they weren't that it was going to be between 25 minutes and 40 minutes. So I decided that I was just going to stick to the ones that I thought could make the final cut because otherwise... It's it's a very tight time to to have so many locations yeah. and so many characters. Was was Netflix always the destination for the film? Yes, yes, yeah. uh, yes. It was it was always the destination. It was like um, a Netflix sort of uh, commission in a way. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like the idea of nonfiction. They 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 asked they 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 proposed it to Netflix. Like we want to do stories on the border, but in unconventional ways. Mm-hmm. And they said, sure. And so they green light. So it was always going to be for the platform. Yeah. How did you choose the, uh, the music? I really love the music, especially the Spanish language, um, the Spanish Song language Hadoid. songs that you choose. Yeah. Uh, a lot of really great bird related, uh, imagery in those. Is that pretty typical for that, that type of music or is that, uh, did you have to search for those? Well, I mean, these, uh, I mean, they're, they're all local, uh, musicians, Mm-hmm. I, mean, oh, also, okay. yeah. I, mean, I mean, apart from like in the Texas one, there's one there's Jerry Jeff Walker, very famous, but then there's mm-hmm. another, which is a local musician. And then there's the, so the way I wanted to handle it, because you're, you're, you're like, the idea is that you were like the bird and you were traveling along my, the, the, the routes where birds would possibly stop by on, mm-hmm. on the flight, uh, migration flyway towards the South. And, and, and in that sense, I wanted to keep it like the idea of a road movie. That wherever you are regionally and geographically is like you're turning on the radio and it's local music. So we start with country and then we go to corrido and then as we descend, we go into local musicians, which is the very local music called Son Jarocho or Son Tuxtleco, Mm -hmm. which is a kind of rough, uh, like uh, basic instruments kind of. And and they have one very famous song, which is called Pajarocu. They always interpret, and that's interpreted in three types of way during uh, in, during the film. And then the bamba, which I never heard before, sung like that. Huh. Um, but I thought it was a very celebratory point where, like, for me, that's the point in the movie where Mexico and the U.S. meet. Right. And it was really, for me, it, it was like the moment when they go and both witness the migration of birds. It's yeah. like... They're, 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 it's the only moment when they're actually together. Because I feel like in Tamaulipas and Texas, they're very separate. And yeah, like presence definitely. of the border, the wall, and then the politics. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Veracruz is a really interesting place. I mean, it's, it's sort of famous for birders in, I mean, the U S as well as this, you know, amazing, your raptor migration hotspot. Uh, it was really neat to see all that. And actually funny, funny side note, I actually saw, um, someone I know in the film oh, really? uh, it was one of the birders in uh, one of the American birders in the, in the Veracruz scene, um, a guy named Alex Lamro. Uh, ah. who actually is a po- listener to the podcast. I've talked to him about this podcast before. And I, I noticed him and I was like, oh man, that's that's really cool. Um, yeah, I think I have his name in the, in the credits now that you mentioned it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, you know, the birding community is not not huge. Uh, so when you, it, it's it's neat to be able to see people in, that you know in places like this. Um, did you find there to be like a huge difference between the the birding community in Texas and the birding community in Mexico. Um, I, I was definitely struck by the, you know, the relative youth of the, of the Mexican birders. It sort of mirrors what I've seen in Latin America, you know, birding and ornithology seems to be a real youth driven yeah. movement. Yeah. Um, it was neat to see that reflected uh, in the movie. And, and I, so I also feel like, yeah, you have, we have this preconception of what birders are. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and now I think that's changing. I think because, because oh, exactly totally. most of the birders that you'll find, like there was this, during the launch of them, there was also simultaneously a congress going on of a program for urban birds, and all uh-huh. of them are young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're they're all they're really really young, like bio biologists or like and 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 so so yes, so so the, the I, I feel like the you know the face of, of bird watching is gonna is, is changing and it's gonna yeah. be very different from our perception of. Of a long, I mean, I did not. I wanted to stay a little bit away from the stereotype that you sometimes <laughs> get depicted in. It's hard to avoid and, that completely. Yeah. It is hard. It is hard. Yeah. And yeah. then, and at times, I do. I mean, I, I do. You know, I I love Christopher Guest, his documentaries, uh-huh. and I love yeah. the way he portrays and, and, that that quirkiness. Yes. Uh, and in ways, I I felt like I was sort of in the at least in the American part. There was moments when I thought I was paying homage. To, oh, uh, to it's so true. Guest. I've I've I've. I've uh, always sort of wondered why Christopher Guest doesn't look to the birding community to do one of those, um, one of his, you know, mockumentaries because it's like, yeah. it's, it is sort of ripe for that. And as a, as an American birder, I, I feel like I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think there's, there's a lot of young people, in, but also, you know, like in, in the States, I mean, that's what I wanted to, to have a family like the Galindos mm-hmm. because they have, they, they've introduced their children on a very, very early age into birding. And I heard there were a lot of like, border families like of mexican origin that were also taking their kids yeah and introducing them into birding yeah i've seen you know i've seen that um i'm I'm actually i'm talking this will be released next week when i come back but i'm heading this week down to the valley uh, for the birding festival that that is going on there uh right now and yeah they, they do like family bird walks and we get a ton of um local local families, South Texas families of, of Mexican origin and otherwise that come to these things. There's definitely an interest there. It's very cool. And, you know, and I also found that like birds, is a, it was a, like, a, it's a very good way to start introducing people to, a, to the whole conversation of, of, of conservation itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, uh, which for me ultimately was, because was, was, it's going to be the, one of the critical topics, no, in the future. Yeah. Like, uh, cli- I mean, th- there was also at the beginning of the film that I had a, 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 ver- a cut in which they had this, they discussed suddenly the thing about uh, migration getting like adva- like earlier migration happening. Oh, right. Yeah. Because of the, the climate change. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. But, you yeah. know, again, it was like I had already all these topics and I was afraid <laughs> like yourself, another right. open of climate change. But yeah, I think the, 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 the whole topic of, you know, habitat loss. 
-hmm. and conservation and, and, and climate change. And because birds are like, uh, a healthy ecosystem has a diversity of birds. Right. And, and your birds are so good at, at uh, being, you know, evidence of that uh, because yeah. they're so diverse and they're so relatively easy to see. And you can see, you know, a lot of them, they're, they're super great indicators for that sort of thing too, which is why, you know, I think people are so interested in them um, and why they resonate so much for, you know, a documentary like this that is ideally going to be seen by as many non-birders as as birders well more yeah. hopefully because there's yeah. just so many more non-birders <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean i mean and and, and also because it's you, you like a friend of mine would always tell me that like because i sometimes got very surprised and i'd see a little bird and i sent him a really bad picture and then he'd <laughs> identify it in two seconds yeah. and be like oh yeah that bird's really common and and yeah it's because you don't know like it's this whole world around you that until yes. you start looking at it, you notice that it exists and oh, it's totally. incredibly diverse yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I like about the birding community is that there's this real earnest interest in birds. Like they are just super passionate about birds and bird watching. And, and so many people just like they want you to love it like they love it. And it's yeah. often very evident um, when you talk to birders. Uh, and it was really neat to see that in birders on both sides of the border, I'm thinking specifically of the um, the woman at uh, Laguna Madre, the mother and daughter, uh, Juanita Dapa, uh -huh. um, with with tears in her eyes when she's talking about what the birds meant to her. It's um, I it resonates with me a lot. And uh, how it's they've totally transformed their lives, and I think of a yeah. number of them they have. I mean, as yeah. well, Braulio, like the 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 last one. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was great as well. Yeah, he he. I mean, his life got totally transformed. He lived in the United States a couple of years, as I know, and 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 he returned, I think, many years ago. And so, for me, it was nice to end with a little bit of a coda of a person that had done the same journey, but the mm -hmm. other way around. Yeah, the other way um, around. Yeah. And and yeah, and, and Esteban as well. You know, Esteban is one of the most incredible bird guides in the entire of Mexico. Oh one yeah, I, I know a lot of South because I mean, you know South Texas birders. They used to go to El Cielo. Yeah, all all yeah. the time, and and unfortunately less so now. There's still a few people who make the trip, but um, yeah, you know, Esteban is like well known. He's <laughs> like one of the <laughs> one of the best bird guides in Mexico. Yeah, and yeah, definitely he the is. guy you want. Yeah, I think I mean the Cielo situation is getting a little bit better. I mean there was That's a little bit of, of of controversy here because some people got very offended that we mentioned that Mexico that Tamaulipas got very violent. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, well, it is a reality. It did get violent, and that's why people stopped going. Uh, but on the other hand, like, I think Tamaulipas, like, more and more people are starting to go back. They had a couple oh, of very, good. very tough years. Yeah. But I think the situation is, is, is a bit better. I wouldn't, like, totally put my hand, say that it's absolutely perfect, but I think it's it's much, much better than a few Oh, wow, that's ago. good. What sort of response have you seen uh, from this film? Not just from birders, but from non-birders as well. Uh, no, well, I mean, from non-birders, I mean, they 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 discovered kind of a world they had no idea existed. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then, for example, a lot, of, a lot of what people say to me is like, "Oh my God, I've never seen the border being depicted so beautifully." <laughs> it is. It's a. I mean, it is a really beautiful film. Like the cinematography is just really nice. So, so you know, the conception we have of the border as this dry land desert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 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 no, it's like the valley is green and um, it's very reduced, as you say. It's very fragmented, yeah. so it's a little bit misleading, I think. In drones, you get a better perspective of just how yeah, fragmented the, the area is, and that it's not yeah. that big. Um, 
Because then you come to Mexico and suddenly like the scale of the places are are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, in general, they're very positive. I mean, birders are like some of them have been like great. I mean, it's 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 hard when you introduce a project like this because you don't have a festival or something to gauge a live mm-hmm. audience. So a lot of what you base on is you base yourself on reactions online or people writing to you, um, mm-hmm. and. And in general, I feel like it's it's very very positive. And and, and for example, someone I think that works in the Bronx, they, they they were really into the migration. They really enjoyed it. They enjoyed that kind of subtext of of, of migration mm-hmm. between like Mexico and the U.S. And yeah, and a lot of cats apparently see the show as well. I guess <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of memes with cats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's, it's been very interesting. It's, it's been, it, it has its controversy as well, which is always, I think, interesting because it, it, it generates conversation, but in general, uh, it's, it's been very, very good. And I mean, I, I, like, yes, Netflix is kind of limited to people who have Netflix, but on the other hand, like the, like a, li- a film like this would have a very little audience if it wasn't through the platform like that. Otilio Portillo Padua is the director of Birders. It is a documentary available now on Netflix. I would definitely encourage listeners to check it out. It's really nicely done. Um, thanks so much for, for talking to me about it, Otilia. And congratulations again. Thank you very much, Nate. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, thank you very, very much for the space. There's a reason the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival is front and center on so many birders' calendars. It's a homecoming of sorts, an opportunity for the birding community to come together every single year in one of the country's most amazing birding locations. It is, along with the biggest week, of course, one of the pillars of the North American birding scene and one of its most important cultural institutions. And the two festivals are very similar in some ways. They're both celebrations and sort of out-of-the-way places. That's not meant to be a knock on Harlingen, Texas, or Toledo, Ohio, but neither are really destinations for non-birders. But while Toledo is not far from Detroit or Chicago or Columbus or Hamilton, Ontario, Harlingen isn't really close to anything and requires a, a little more of an effort to get to. And of course, birders are willing to make that effort, if for no other reason than to look at a green jay or a common parake. I mean, we are known to travel any distance for stuff like that. And for a week, Harlingen is birder central. Ground zero for the organizations and the businesses and the people that make up a good portion of the energy in our continental community. And everyone's social media feeds are blanketed with photos from South Texas. I'm sure you can attest to that. I was excited to be a part of it this year. I participated almost 10 years ago, and this time I got to contribute something a little more fun to the festival rather than just going to hang out. Uh, My own valley history is long and only slightly predates the festival itself. So, you know, exploring the valley in part made me a birder, so it's definitely special to come back in this context. So this commentary is a little rambly, I'll admit, but I do want to talk a bit about how important it is for us to have a festival here. Not that birders wouldn't know about this place and visit this place otherwise, but it's that our voices are so much louder here. And that has been important over the years. You know, over the last two decades, the birding opportunities have exploded 
in the area. 20 years ago, the land that Estero Llano Grande State Park sits on was an onion field. And now it's arguably the jewel in the crown of the South Texas birding experience. And that's only one site. There are so many others that have similar stories. More recently, birders have made common cause with locals to protect these areas and these places from the ill-conceived border wall. I'm not going to say that we have been 100% successful, as there is some new construction on lower Rio Grande Valley National Wildlife Refuge land, but there is not a lot, and there's way, way less than was planned. And now it actually begins to feel like we might actually run the clock out on this bad idea. I can't tell you how sort of exciting that is. The Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival is an amazing experience for a lot of reasons, but perhaps none more than the fact that it has, in 26 years, shown the influence that the birding community can have on a place. Even if you weren't at the festival, even if you've never been to South Texas, you, as a birder, leave a legacy there of conservation, of good work, positive influences on a community as something we can all be proud of and i hope i hope that you get the opportunity to visit soon to see that influence that you have had firsthand i can't wait to come back next year assuming that the fates allow and i hope to see you there The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast and the other free resources that the ABA provides to birders, the best way to help support them is by joining the ABA. Membership benefits include our fantastic magazines, opportunities to join us for ABA events, discounts to our partners like Beauty of Books, and the knowledge that you care and will contribute and are contributing to a vibrant and active birding community in the U.S., Canada, and beyond. You can learn more at aba.org slash join or check out our e-memberships at aba.org slash e member. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who wonders why it is that the admittedly uncommon hybrids of black duck and mottled duck aren't called bottled duck for at least the alcoholic possibilities. Technical production is by John Lowry. He's quite partial to Berkeley vulture for those inevitable hybrids of black and turkey vulture. Extra internet help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who together have coined a name for all of those Lincolns and Swamp Sparrow hybrids, Lump Sparrow. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birder, and on Twitter at ABA. It's not a common occurrence by any means, but the proposed hybrid between Cliff Swallow and Bank Swallow, so-called Clank Swallow, it's only hypothetical at this point. Questions and comments come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.